Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On the Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you, and I'm here in my hotel room in Vegas. It is the start of the International Hardware Show, and I have a client that's here, and we're going to be setting up a booth later on today. I thought it would be a good time to push out a podcast because I'm here a bit early and just taking care of some business and thought I would talk a little bit about something different. And I know you've seen the title of the podcast, Goodbye Toys R Us. And what some of you may not know is that in my past, I worked for Toys R Us, worked my way up through the ranks there. And I actually had a really good time at that retailer. And it's very sad to me to see that it's going away that they're closing the doors, that they're not going to be around anymore. They weren't able to navigate the changes in retail that could keep them afloat. It's difficult understanding all the different things that they taught me. Toys R Us was really ahead of the game in a lot of different ways back in the early 90s. And it's difficult for me to understand how they were just not able to make the shifts that were necessary. But I guess that that's not really uncommon, right? I mean, we're losing retailers left and right. And the main reason that's happening is because these retailers are not able to make this shift. They can't look out a new window. They can't see a different paradigm where they're successful. They don't understand the nuances of how people purchase product today. They don't understand what people are looking for. They don't understand how to give them what they want. And that makes me sad because a lot of what I know and a lot of what I'm really good at, Toys R Us taught me. Some mentors that I had at Toys R Us really made me understand the nuances of why people buy things and how to merchandise things so that they can really fly off the shelves. And so I'm going to get into a little bit about that. So this is going to be a little bit more storytelling than you're used to. It's not going to be a how-to on how to get your products in somewhere. It's just really kind of a look back on my career with Toys R Us and some of the funny things that happened and some of the crazy things that happened and some of what they were really able to teach me and how I'm able to do the things that I do right now, how I'm able to be successful at what I'm doing. You know, Toys R Us, I joined back in 1991 and I came from a specialty retailer background. So this was my real first foray into big box retail, massive amounts of employees and chaos and just crazy things. And back then, Toys R Us had this unbelievable 12-week manager training program. And it didn't matter how much experience you had. It didn't matter what you had done before. Sure, there was some fast tracking going on, but everybody, no matter who you were, went through this 12-week training program. And it was administered by an HR person. And there were books involved and meetings involved. And really what it was, it was designed to give you a look at every aspect of the store. So you spent some time working in the front end. So learning how to deal with customers at the front end of returns and cash register and cash flow and counting cash and reconciling drawers. And you would spend a good amount of time up there. You had a rotation on the sales floor where you learned how to merchandise, how to make sections look good, how to follow planograms, how to be creative. Back then, Yeah, Toys R Us had some planograms, but sometimes sections would get empty. So you had to get creative. What were you going to put in there? What made sense? What are you going to put on the end cap? If there's nobody there to tell it to you, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Is it going to sell? 
So they really taught you how to think on your feet, make certain decisions, run a whole section, or run the entire sales floor. You have to understand that back in 1991, too, before I go, I'm going to digress just a bit, but back in 1991, Toys R Us was still a giant. They still held 25% of the entire U.S. toy market. We were crushing it, and uh, sales were great. And so running a sales floor in a high-volume store where I was being trained, which was in Torrance, California, was fast-paced. I mean, stuff would just fly off the shelves, and you would have to make quick decisions, and you'd have to know where your products were. Back then, there was no scanning. You didn't get to scan stuff into a section in the back. You didn't get to punch that up on the computer and know immediately how much product you had and where it was located and how to go find it. No. So we had trucks that were just coming in constantly and you were just shoving. I mean, back then, yeah, we had sections like this is the action figure aisle in the back room or whatever, but you just put boxes on the shelf back then. There was so much product that was in the back room that wasn't even out on the floor. And so sometimes it was like a treasure hunt to go back there and find stuff that just wasn't on the floor. And the only way you could do that is you would you could look it up, but you had to take the SKU to a terminal and you look it up and you would see that there was zero sales. Now, if there was zero sales, then it probably wasn't out on the floor. So back to your rotation on the sales floor, you would do a rotation there. And then you would do a rotation in the back room. You would learn how to keep a stock room. And like I said, back then, there was not a lot of technology available. You just unloaded trucks and moved stuff to the floor and moved it to the stock room and hoped that you would understand and read the printouts and and get the stuff out onto the floor that needed to go out there. But it was, like I said, really, really fun and fast paced. You had to know what you were doing and you couldn't second guess yourself back then. Otherwise, your employees just would not follow you. They wouldn't do what you wanted them to do if you could never make a decision. People were constantly coming up to you. Hey, what should I put this? What should I do with this? Where should this go? This is an angry customer. This person over here is doing this. What do we do? What do we do? And it was crazy. This 12 weeks went by like a flash in the pan, and then you were assigned a store. And luckily for me, I was assigned to stay in the same store that I had been training in, which was Torrance, like you said. It was an A-volume store, and it was amazing. I can't remember where I started my rotation, probably out on the sales floor. And there was another trainee that uh, we went straight out of training. We both went to the sales floor at the same time. His name was Jeff. And man, were we competitive. Because on the sales floor, there was multiple managers on the sales floor. So there would be somebody to handle this section. There were multiple sections. So you might be handling baby and somebody else might be handling action figures and toys. Because not one person, except for the assistant, director, they used to call like the head guy was or girl was called a director, store director, and then assistant director, and then managers. And so there was not one person who handled the entire sales floor. There was the assistant director that oversaw it, but there was multiple managers. And so you were assigned basically a section. And so we were constantly competing against whose section looked better and sales were better and margin was better. And so that kind of made it fun. So that's kind of the intro. And like I said, they put so much emphasis on training that by the time you came out of training, You were so prepared to do what you were going to do and so prepared to make the decisions that you were going to have to make in depending on on what type of store you had and how big the volume was. And the interesting thing was, is back then I was working with a store director that had 20 years of experience at Toys R Us. I mean, he had gone through 20 seasons and that's how they used to say it back then. You know, have you gone through season? And season basically was the day after Thanksgiving all the way through the return cycle after holiday, after Christmas. And if you had not gone through a season at Toys R Us, 
you were kind of treated like you were nobody. Like you had not been seasoned yet. You were just the FNG, right? You were just the new guy. And so your opinion really didn't count. The thoughts that you had, hey, until you go through a season, then come back and talk to me. And I'm not kidding. That's really how they treated you. You go to meetings, manager meetings, and you'd raise your hand. And if you hadn't been through a season yet, they really just didn't count it. It just it wasn't really counted as knowledge because season back then, 25% of the toy market season back then was this crushing rite of passage that you had to make it through to really understand the 80% of the entire volume you're going to do in an entire year is going to come in the fourth quarter. And so if you hadn't gone through one of those yet, like I said, your opinion really just didn't matter. So you kind of just prepared and at Toys R Us, really all year was just one long preparation to go through season. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of a couple of things that I remember from going through season in a minute. But I do want to talk a little bit about my first manager. His name was Michael. And he was the epitome of everything that you never wanted to do when you got to be a store director. And at the same time, he was the epitome of everything you need to know when you become a store director. And so it was this super dichotomy of these two people that he was. I mean, because 20 years ago, I mean, talk about cowboy. This guy had been through it all. And some of what he had done in his past and how he had managed before was old school. And it just wasn't acceptable anymore. And some of the things that he would do and say and how he would act and wasn't, you know, was just a highlight of the things that you just don't want to do when you're, when you become a store director. But man, how he knew how to merchandise and how he knew how to draw margin out of products and bring things and bring money to the bottom line and how he knew about how to fill in space and how to find product in the stock room and how to handle trucks when, you know, at season you're getting four trucks a day and where do you put that product? And, you know, nothing rattled him. Zero. It was just like an avalanche of product. You literally had to dig your way out just like you were digging out an avalanche because the pallets had gone down each side of the aisle and then they'd, they'd actually fallen into each other and created just this wall of boxes. And so I remember one time it was on my front end rotation and I was merchandising this end cap for a register lane and I got it all done and I was pretty darn proud of it. And he walks by and he says, that's horrible. I can't remember exactly what he said. The inference was was horrible. He's like, that thing will be empty in two seconds. And I had really merchandised it for prettiness. It was pretty. There's no doubt about it. But he was saying to me that you need to get more product on that on that end cab. Otherwise, tomorrow that thing's going to be empty and you're going to have to redo it. And also, nobody wants to buy from an end cap that looks half empty. Nobody wants to buy anything when there's so many holes. You need to pack that in, fill it in, make it look like it's we're in business on this product. And that was kind of my first shot in the arm on what it means to be in business. And I'll give you a quick tangent, you know, the difference between Bed Bath & Beyond and linens and things. You know, I was a store manager for Bed Bath & Beyond as well. And at Bed Bath & Beyond, store managers could order their own product. Most of the product you see in a Bed Bath & Beyond is specifically ordered by the managers that are there. And so Bed Bath & Beyond told us in our training, we don't care how much product you order. We don't care if you order a thousand of this one thing. If it doesn't work out, we'll spread it among the district or the region. It'll be fine. But we packed it in. We were in business. Our walls were full. Our towels were full. Our end caps were packed full. And we had product in reserve. When one product sold, we would put one or more in there. Now take that in 
sharp contrast to linens and things where everything was ordered by corporate. So you would find snow shovels in a store in California. You would find stuff that just didn't go there. And they ordered based on trend, not based on filling the shelf. So sometimes shelves would just be empty. And think about it yourselves. When you're shopping, you know, no, nobody wants to buy one of the last three items on a shelf, right? Because you're thinking to yourself, why don't people want these? What's wrong with these? There's a dent in one or there's got to be something wrong. But if the shelf is packed full, then you feel comfortable ordering it. I mean, excuse me, buying it because you feel like it's all brand new. It all just got restocked. It's all straight out of the box. It just arrived. And that's just the psychology of selling. And I had my first lesson in that at Toys R Us. And I will tell you that I probably redid that end cap six times that day before I got the okay. And it wasn't this big jubilee okay, you know, nobody threw me a party. I just was going on to the next end cap and then the next one and then the next one. But finally getting it right, finally getting the sign off that I had done it right felt so good. It felt amazing. And I was just pumped to go on to the next one and the next one. And everything I learned under this manager on how to run a Toys R Us store and how not to run a Toys R Us store were crucial in my success there. I went on to accept a position in the regional office. It wasn't a bump in pay. It was a training position. And all my colleagues told me not to take it. You know, Jeff, we were really, Jeff and I were battling for who was going to get promoted to assistant director first. And so he just thought I was a chump for taking it and going into the corporate office. And I will tell you that I did that position for maybe five months. And then one day, five months later, I was called. In the meantime, Jeff had gotten promoted to assistant director and had moved out of the Torrent store to his new assignment. And so he felt that he had been victorious, right? You know, he had, yeah, you know, I used to get that he would call me on the phone and taunt me that he was doing that. And I was doing this menial training job. Well, I got called into the regional manager. I mean, the main guy, the regional director, the guy that handled the entire region one day, along with a district manager. And I was promoted over assistant director straight to store director and was given my own store in Fountain Valley, California. As you can imagine, my first call was not to my wife. My first call was not to my friends. My first call was to Jeff because I had just become the youngest store director on the West Coast. And so I had to lay that down in front of Jeff and beat back all the calls that he had made telling me that I had done the wrong thing. So I was super excited about that. And I won't go too much into the stuff that happened in Fountain Valley, but I will tell you, the director that I took over for moved to a new store. And then the assistant director had gotten promoted to another store. So I didn't have an assistant director. And so I got a call from my district manager and said, hey, well, your assistant director will be starting there on Monday. And I was super excited. Who got promoted? What awesome person were they going to send me? No. What they did was they actually demoted a 22-year veteran of Toys R Us and sent him to me as my first assistant director. So this guy was twice my age, had just been demoted after being a store director for some 12 years. Now, isn't that just a ball of fun, right? So here I am running my very first Toys R Us store, and I'm dealing with a grumpy older, and I use the word older lightly because he's probably younger than I am now at the age that he was at at that time. But we made it work. He was still interested in working for Toys R Us, and we were able to make it work. I ended up being grateful, actually, because he had a lot of knowledge. Even though he was struggling in his position, 
because he was not able to make some changes that were going on. He was kind of an old dog at Toys R Us, but he still knew a lot. Man, he still had a lot of knowledge. And here I am just this newbie. And so I was up on all the latest things that were going on. And he was this guy that had been through it all since the beginning. And so together, we kind of made up the perfect storm. And once he got over the ego hit of being demoted, we really made a good team. And I enjoyed working with him. All right, enough about my overall career. I'm going to go back to Torrance because that was where I went through my first season. So before I had gone to the corporate office, before I got promoted to store director, I was just a manager at Torrance. I was going through our first season. And this was a high volume store and we would do near a half million dollars a day. And I know that there are stores out there now that you can find a Costco that'll do a million dollars a day. But back then, a half a million dollars a day, $400,000 a day was a big deal. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a lot of cash back then. Back in 1991, 92, people weren't using debit cards like they do today. So there was a lot of cash and checks. And so you had a lot of money on the line. And I just remember this scene because during regular And I know I'm jumping around here, guys, so you just have to bear with my brain is thinking about all these things at the same time. But during regular season, we would run with maybe six register lanes. But we had a six, maybe maybe 10. And then we would expand that out to 21 register lanes during holiday. 21. And if you can just picture, back then, Toys R Us was this very regimented store. So you'd walk in and they had A aisle, B aisle, and C aisle, and then the back wall. And when we were really rolling on a weekend after Thanksgiving, all 21 registers would be pumping and there would be lines back into the first aisle. It was this giant machine of just commerce and just people coming up and just, you would go back in the back of what we call the computer room and you could just watch the ticker going hour one, 10,000. It would just go 10K. And then it would only jump up by 10,000 units. So it would be 10K, then the next hour, 20K, then 40K, then 60K. I mean, it was just rolling up. The money was just pouring. And we had somebody that was just dedicated sitting up in the tower with the money counting machine, just, you know, just counting the money, depositing and getting the checks ready for deposit. And during season, generally, we would have an off-duty LAPD officer at the front and we'd have one at the back. So Toys R Us for the high volume stores hired that. And when I was closing, this LA off-duty officer would just follow me everywhere. They just shouted at me because it could get dangerous. You have so much money going through. And when the armored car would roll in, and I'm not even exaggerating, okay, this is not an exaggeration. During this time of year, our accounting office was in what we called the tower. And so in the front end, it was just this upstairs in this enclosed room. And these guys from the armored car would come in. There would be three guys and they'd be in staggered positions to get up the stairs. And when the guy was in the office getting the cash ready, there would be a guy upstairs outside the office with a shotgun and he would cock it like so that everybody could hear it, see it, understand. And then there'd be another guy at the door and they would leave in this staggered position too, because these guys would be rolling out of there with literally a hundred thousand dollars in cash or more. Sometimes these guys would come twice a day, depending on what day it was. It was crazy. But for a store like that, we'd have to hire maybe 100, 120 people for a holiday. And there's sometimes people just come on board just to rip you off, right? We would call it scan-throughs. And it became easier to catch later on when we had uh, pan-zoom tilt cameras and we could really zoom down and look at microlines on checks and this and that. But I would just stand up in the front and just watch these 21 registers just, just killing it. 
And then you would see something that just didn't make sense, like a cashier just scanning stuff too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast. You know that they're not actually hitting the UPC code. So they're just running it on the wrong side of the box through the thing. And so I would hone in on that, and then I would get closer and closer and closer. The person who would be buying the product would have like two carts full of product, and then I would wait. And I would see what the final bill was, and it was like $30 or something. So I would walk up and say, yeah, sir, let me uh, take a look at your receipt. I think you might have been overcharged. And they would say, oh, no, 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 I think I'm fine. No, this just seems good to me. And then I would look at it and be 30 something dollars. I'm like, sir, this is a lot of merchandise for $30. And the next thing you know, the off-duty LAP officer would have this guy and the cashier in the back room. It, we'd be talking through them. And they would eventually get hooked up and taken downtown or taken down to the police station. I mean, we would arrest people. In one season, we probably would weed out 10 people. And this stuff is still going on today. Just at holiday past year, so holiday 2017, my wife and I were at Target and we had bought a bunch of stuff and I had estimated the bill might be $300, $350 and it came through at like $520 something and my wife paid it. But I just had this uneasy feeling. And so as we're leaving, I'm like, hey, let me see that receipt. And we looked and at the very bottom of the receipt was a rung up for a $200 gift card. Of course, we had not bought a $200 gift card. So I, you know, I took it to the man- front end manager and we went over to the register. And of course, the cashier was like, oh no, they didn't buy a gift card. But I already know what she did. I already know that she has a gift card sitting underneath her counter and she's just adding them on to somebody's sale. But I mean, come on, not very good at it because $200, of course, I'm going to see an extra $200. Really, what they normally will do is $50, $25, but they'll do it again and again and again. And they'll rack up in just one shift. Maybe they'll have 10, 15 gift cards that they'll then hand out to their family members and go spend hundreds of dollars of free money on. So I'm sure what happened after we left is uh, they went upstairs, they looked to look at the cameras, they saw her grab the card from beneath and scan it, and that she got arrested or at least fired. But it's still going on today. That stuff still happens. It still happens. So you got to be vigilant. Always check your receipt. Not necessarily in front of the cashier. Don't be one of those people that just pour the receipt right there. But you know, you get out to the parking lot, you get in your car, take a look at it, see if there's anything on there that you were double charged for that really shouldn't be there. Definitely at holiday, because people go to these big retailers to get hired just to scam them. Hey, big boxers, just a quick announcement from TLB Consulting. Are you looking to scale your business this year? Are you looking to get your products on the shelf of a retailer this year? Well, guess what? Booking a coaching call with me has never been easier. I know based on the past 10 years of working with clients that it can be difficult to be a solopreneur. It can be difficult to scale your business into territory that you've never been to. That's why I have opened up more slots this year than I've ever done before. One of my goals this year is to work with more clients, more solopreneurs, more big boxers looking to get their products into retail than ever before. I want to work directly with you and share my experiences over the last 25 years of getting products into retail. I want to share those experiences with you. I want to talk to you from a place of somebody who's been there and I want to help you get to where I've gone. Like I said, it's never been easier. All you have to do is go to tlbconsulting.com, click on consulting, and then choose the time or the bundle that you want. 
and get it scheduled. Let's kick off 2020 with a bang. Let's get you the information that you need. I'm looking forward to meeting you. All right. So during season, by the way, we would work six days a week. My shift as a store director was basically Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. And I worked that from the day after Thanksgiving all the way through until returns had slowed down after holiday. And so it was a long time, but man, that's what you worked all the year for. That's what you've been planning on all year for. You were stocked up and ready to go. And it was just this amazing thing. I can remember passing, making it through my first season and feeling like I finally had gotten indoctrinated into the company and had that successful first go round. You know, I worked for Toys R Us, I think in total for five years. So I had had five seasons under my belt. And of course, Toys R Us started to decline just prior to 1995, I think, when Target had figured out that they weren't going to carry a bunch of toys. In fact, they were only going to hone in on the hot toys. And that's all they would carry. And the second those hot toys is sold out, they would put in the next section of hot toys. And of course, Toys R Us's philosophy was always that people would come to them for the hot toys and then buy some diapers and some formula and some other things, or Johnny would want this or want that, and their cart would end up getting fuller than what they just came in for. But once Target took away the opportunity for people just to come in for the hot toys, then they were just coming in for the ancillary things, the Graco stroller or the high chair. And when they came in for those things, that's just only what they left with. So Target had figured out this method of basically stealing a huge percentage of Toys R Us's sales because it was so easy going to Target and to find the hot things because that's all they had. That's it. Now, speaking of hot things, I'll tell you a story about Power Rangers. I wasn't around at Toys R Us for the Cabbage Patch doll craze, but I do understand that uh, Power Rangers were similar. Now, when Power Rangers were at their peak, we could not get them. We could barely get them. They would come in in these random shipments. And Bandai, who was the company that was producing those, was way over their head. And so Toys R Us actually rented a manufacturing plant to help Bandai produce more product. And the cool thing was I was running the Huntington Beach store at the height of this craze. And we would know when we were getting a shipment and people would start lining up at our store at three in the morning. By the time the store was ready to open, we would have a good line of 200 people. And if you understand the group mentality of people, even if you don't know what's going on, you see a group of 200 people lined up outside a store, you're probably going to stop and try to find out what's going on. And we would have people that would get in line that had no idea what Power Rangers were, but they just wanted to get one because obviously it's the hottest thing ever and they need to get in on this craze. And so what I did and how we handled it, because of course these lines got pretty crazy and fights could or would break out in stores across the country. What we did at our store was I handed out numbers, starting with the very first person in line, all the way back to the last guy. And then I would yell out and say, hey, anybody that comes in out of their number order is going to get nothing. And also the person in front of you and the person behind you is going to get nothing. And so, man, that just, these lines strained out like nobody's business. Nobody was going to be waiting since three in the morning and ended up getting nothing. And it kind of made people in partnership with each other. Hey, what's your number? Okay, we're in good. We're in good sync. Okay, we're fine. So they were working together to get what they wanted. And unfortunately, not everybody handled it the same way. And we did have across the country a bunch of fights. 
And so eventually, Toys R Us changed their policy on how they would do it. And it made it worse because we would have huge days on those days because, again, people would come in to get a Power Ranger and then they would get something else or Johnny's birthday or whatever. It was that mentality of, well, I'm here. I might as well get some formula. I might as well get this. I might as well get that. I might as well shop for so-and-so's birthday while I'm here. So you take away that craze. You take away that line. Then it's just not, there's not this big excitement anymore. If you can just walk in and fill out a slip and somebody will call you later when the product comes in, well, that's not as exciting as driving by and seeing 200 people lined up outside a store and not knowing what it's for. All right. So I know, guys, that we're jumping around. But let's get into a couple stories, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Let me see where we're at time-wise here. We're getting into it. You guys have been listening to me rambling. But there was a couple stories that really stood out in my mind. And it's amazing to me what people will ask or what people will ask of people in a service industry. If you've never worked in a service industry, if you've never served people, whether it's a waitress or a server at a restaurant or working in retail, Sometimes you just have no idea what these people go through or what they're asked to do. And believe me, in my long retail career, I could write a book on the crazy crap that people would do or say or want or tell me. I could go on and on and on. And someday I may do that. But today we're going to go through a couple of stories. Some of these are going to make you cringe. I'm going to tell you that right now, uh, just thinking about them. But poop in the car kind of rings a bell to me because I remember sitting up in the front end and this lady comes up to me and she says, hello, sir, you're going to want to check that car over there. And I look over and there's one of those, it's a pink Barbie Power Wheels. If you remember what Power Wheels are, those sitting cars that had the battery and the kids could drive it like a real car. And I said, I'm going to want to check it for what? She said, well, my daughter had an accident in there. I'm, I'm uh, Okay. I mean, by accident, you mean she pooped in there. She pooped in the car. And I know that I'm just looking at her like, okay, as a mother, would you pick that up and take that to the restroom and throw it in the toilet? Or maybe you want to tell me that I might want to disinfect it. Maybe you might want to say that I want to pull that off the floor right now and give it a good cleaning because you've already taken care of this. No, no, there was poop still in there. And she thought that I might need to grab that because her daughter pooped in there. All right. So yeah, somebody had to go in there and grab that poop and clean that car. And it wasn't going to be the mom. She just wanted to inform me that that had happened. So I don't know why that one always sticks in my mind. I just remember looking at her in disbelief like, okay, okay, you're really going to make me pick up your kid's poop. Understood. Uh, When I first got promoted to Fountain Valley, as I had mentioned before, my office was on the first floor. It wasn't in a tower anymore. We didn't do the tower thing any longer. This was a newer store. And I remember hearing this low screaming. And it was like a wailing. And it kept getting louder and louder and louder. And then boom, it went by my office window. And it was some lady rolling a cart. And she just was like, ah, by my window. And then she was gone outside. And then I started hearing this wailing. And it was coming back. So I went outside my office. And as she was like, she, I stopped her. And there's like blood everywhere. She had blood on her. And her the baby that she had in her arms had blood on him. And she was screaming at the top of her lungs. And I couldn't understand a word that she was saying. She didn't speak any English. And she was just yelling at me. And so we finally got her calmed down. We got an ambulance called at her request. We were finally able to ascertain based on her showing us. And the kids, by the way, this kid's finger, this index finger is just dangling. 
it's like not even really attaching. We're just dangling by the skin. And what I could gather that happened was that he got it pinched in the cart and she couldn't get it out. So she eventually just yanked it. I know that you guys are cringing right now. I'm cringing thinking about it. She just yanked it and basically almost cut his finger completely off. In the end, what she was more freaked out about is her husband finding out what had happened rather than that her baby basically had his finger cut off. And so, yep, yanked it right out of the cart. So hospital, uh, Amos called off. She went to the hospital, never saw her again. All right, what else is on my list? Oh, along that lines, as long as we're going to be cringing, I'm going to tell you this one. If you understand shelving at Toys R Us, it was Logier shelves at Veen, uh, so you guys might be familiar with it. But it's the standard metal shelving that you see in most retailers. And at the end of all of those shelves are these holes. And I don't know exactly what the holes were eventually for, whether they just made the overall shelf lighter. But all the shelves had rows of holes right at the very front edge of them. And at one point, a lady wanted to get something off of the top rack, which she shouldn't have been doing. So she had positioned herself standing on the base shelf, trying to reach it. And in the process, her wedding ring had swung around. And so the diamond was hanging down, you know, basically palm down. And as she reached up, I know you guys are feeling what's coming, right? As she reached up to grab this, the diamond of the ring got caught in one of those holes and she lost her purchase and fell back. And her ring basically took off the entire skin of her whole finger. Like she's just like, ah! you know, just all she had was a, a bone. And up on top of the shelf was her ring and this like glove of a skin of a finger that you could just basically slide back on the bone. Just burp. it was that was a little gnarly. So, you know, just a quick note of caution. Don't stand on a rickety base shelf and try to grab something off the top shelf. Find somebody to get it down for you with the ladder. All right, what's next? No more blood. I'm going to tell you that. No more blood. So one day when I actually, I opened from scratch. So we built this store in Signal Hill, California. And one night, well, really it was the day before I got a call from the Signal Hill police and they had informed me that I had a murder suspect on my night crew. So, hey, isn't that great? So you have somebody that's suspected of murder working for you. So not only have they gone through the checkpoint and check process, but now they're in the store with all kinds of people. And the Signal Hill police decided that they wanted to do a takedown. That's the way they told it to me, a takedown like I'm on a cop show. As these people are leaving, as my night crew's leaving at 6 a.m. in the morning, they want to do a takedown and take this guy down. And so I was concerned that at that time, that guy would be leaving with probably 15 or 20 other people on the night crew. And I was concerned for their safety, but they assured me that all would be well. And so here I am with my assistant director purchased high up in a kind of covert area so that we could watch this all go down. And sure enough, the doors open up and the night crew comes out. And as they start to disperse, and that's, I guess, how they were going to separate them, as they start to disperse into the parking lot to their cars, that's when the police moved in and just took this guy down hard and never saw or heard from that gentleman again. And so don't really know what happened, whether he was convicted, don't know anything and didn't ask. So bye-bye. Thanks for your service. All right. The last story I have to tell you, and as I'm telling you stories, I'm thinking of so many more. Sorry, guys, I've been talking so long and so straight now that uh, my mouth is kind of dry and I don't have any water here. But back in the early 90s, I don't know if those of you listening were in a position to be or see this stuff happen, but if you had a credit card 
and you hadn't been paying your bill or you were over your limit and it was declined. Back then, it wasn't just declined. It said call. You had to call the company to find out what was going on. And back then, the company might give you the direction to please cut that card up. That's right. Just cut it up. And that sounds easy when you're at the credit card company. You're like, hey, man, just cut that card up right in front of that customer. They haven't paid their bill and uh, they're delinquent. So just cut that bad boy up. Yeah, but when you're in front of the customer and you're cutting it up, that customer can get a little volatile. They can get a little angry and they might start yelling at you that they're going to be waiting for you in the parking lot and they're going to come across the counter and all kinds of things. I can't tell you, maybe 10 times I had people that told me they were going to wait for me outside the parking lot and we're going to sort things out. As it turned out, nobody ever waited for me in the parking lot. You know, that's just a big grand gesture of I'm super embarrassed and my ego just took a hit and you're actually going to cut up my credit card right in front of me. But I can tell you, and as you have seen, that doesn't happen anymore. That did lead to a lot of altercations and it wasn't fair to ask some hourly employee that really has nothing to do with this person's finances to cut somebody's credit card up right in front of them. And so, of course, eventually that policy became null and void. So we didn't do that anymore because it was just a recipe for disaster. Just a recipe for disaster. All right. You know what? That's it. That's it. If you guys are interested and you write me back, maybe we'll do another show where we can get into some more stories, retail stories from other places like Bed Bath and Office Depot and Barnes and Noble. Holy cow. One night I was closing at Barnes and Noble and a lady came to me and she's an older lady. We're almost closed, right? And we're it's late. Barnes and Noble back then, we closed at like 11. And she said, my husband's really sick and I was hoping that I could get a chair for him. Well, where's your husband? Well, he's in the bathroom. Okay. Well, is he in the stall? I don't know if I can get a chair in there. And she says to me, oh no, honey, I would never have my husband throwing up in a public toilet stall. He's throwing up in the sink. And he's just getting weak. And I was hoping that he could sit down. And I'm just staring at this lady. And sure enough, her husband was just throwing up all over the bathroom, in the sink, and everywhere. And he needed some rest. He was getting weak from all the throwing up. So that was a special night. So there you go. That's a bonus story. All these are real. I was there for all these. Got my hand up. Crossed my heart. Anyway, guys, Toys R Us holds a special place in the history of my retail experience. It's where I learned everything about HR. It's where I learned how to hire people, how to fire people professionally, honestly. It's where I learned the meaning of people needing to take breaks. It's the first place that I was exposed to people with special needs and how to deal with that and the new laws that were coming out around hiring people with special needs. And Toys R Us, I think, in the early 90s was on the forefront of wanting to be the very best at treating their people well and understanding what people needed and wanting to be a diverse company and wanting to follow the rules. I mean, when they found out that they weren't following the rules, they would make quick changes. And Charles Lazarus, who founded Toys R Us, was this guy, this really great old guy who was old when I finally met him, still drove his old Toyota pickup to the office every day, worth millions. When he stepped down, and in some reason, I think that we see this sometimes, but when the person who had the vision, who started it from scratch, who started it from one location and built it up to this empire, when that person steps down, there's a certain level of that commitment and that passion that steps down with that person. And behind that, sometimes I think becomes a need for getting things, stock options and money. And somehow 
running the company and passing on the legacy somehow loses a little bit. And I think that that's what happened with Toys R Us. I feel confident that had Charles been younger, when these issues started to happen, he would have found a way to keep this company going. He would have found a way to figure out what people wanted and how to give it to them. But unfortunately, the people that he left the company in their care were not able to do this. Like he said, that saddens me. I'm, so, I'm sad to see them go. It's weird to think that your education, your retail education, and where you got that is going to be gone. But we move on, right? We move on. So guys, I know that this isn't teaching you anything. I know that you're not going to leave here and go, man, I'm going to take that one strategy and get my products into retail. But it's a little bit of an insight into me and uh, kind of where I started out. We're losing a, what was once a great retailer where I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot. And so I wanted to just take a moment out of the podcast to call that out. If you're enjoying the podcast, everybody, please let us know. Reach out to us. You can reach out to us on Twitter at TLB Consult, on our Facebook page, TLB Consulting. You can also join our closed Facebook group, which is at On The Shelf Now. So you just go to Facebook, type in On The Shelf Now and hit join. So you can do that. And of course, if you want to write us, you can go to our website, tlbconsulting.com and uh, shoot us an email. So happy to let you know that the website is still in production. And hopefully in the next uh, 10 days or so, we're going to be launching that. Super excited to launch that and have you guys have a place to go to find out who's coming up next, what's happening, who we're going to be talking to. You can learn more about the people on the Flash Topic panel and what they do and where they come from and how you can connect with them. It's just going to be this great resource that will extend out what we're doing at On The Shelf into a place where you guys can really go and continue your experience. So I'm excited to bring that to you. And along with that, we're going to be changing, at least for the podcast, you know, our Twitter handle and Facebook page. And so those will all be updated. We're not updated, but we'll be creating new Facebook pages for On The Shelf and our Twitter and so on. So, all right, guys, I'm going to sign off here because it's almost time to get ready to go set up our booth here at the Hardware Show. If you're at the Hardware Show, shoot me an email. Go, you Like I said, you can reach me on Facebook or through our website. And if you want to hook up and just shake hands, love to meet you. All right, guys, well, listen, that's it for now. Until next time, we look forward to seeing your products on the shelf. 